Thank you very much, uh, opening team. Anna and Trevor and Angie. It's nice to have Angie there on the bass and Holly on the violin. And Dave, thanks for your opening remarks and leading. Topic uh, is our second uh, in the series of the Believe Messages. And the topic today is uh, called Personal God. And just uh, take a moment to involve the audience. If, if I say the word personal, give me one word that comes next in your mind. First association. Personal savior. Any others? Personal king. Oh, that, one's, that one's the one we're talking about. Good. Somebody got that. Great. Any others? Friend. Friend. <laughs> there we go. That's great. It's, it's good to know that... Oops, I just moved my computer and lost it for a second here. Don't do that. Maybe it'll be back. It's good to know that... Um, <laughs> there it is. That you think differently than I do. Anyway, that's reassuring. <laughs> so here were a few of the thoughts that I had when I thought about this. this: personal assistant, personal trainer, support worker, and secretary. My mind was focused on. I guess the personal pin number is something that uh, we we own. We have as our private thing, and uh, and I was just. Thinking about that and in terms of the topic today um, and how it's a bit easy to get uh, our thoughts that way when we talk about you know personal God and personal saviors as if he's someone that we own for ourselves, that we have um, uh, our claim to. These people that I've listed up here, they're all there to make uh, life uh, easier and better. They're there to help. They make you more comfortable. Um, they keep you organized, more disciplined. And, uh, and that's one meaning for the word personal. When I looked at Webster's Dictionary, there were eight different meanings for the word personal used in an adjective form. And I thought, that's quite a lot, and I didn't realize that, but... The one above, uh, the one we're just that I've got up there, speaks of a of a private use. Sometimes um, I think we may make people think that way when we talk about personal savior or personal God. But the pers- the definition of personal that we're working with today is that the idea that personal defines having the qualities of a person, as opposed to being impersonal, someone who is there. Last week we were asked to look at the idea that there's one God who is above all others. We heard that he was one being in three persons. But today we're looking at the implications of that personhood of God. And the question that comes out, uh, first of all, is God a good person? Now, that he's a person, we're kind of making that assumption, but would he have to be good? No, not necessarily, but it turns out that he is the defining, uh, the way good is defined. So my thoughts of 
of uh, personal actually might help us a little bit here when we think of God as a good person because of like those people that I had up on the screen. He is uh, seeking the well-being of others. A good person would care for individuals. A good person would want what is best for us. And a good person would love us. And God is all of those things. So in that sense, he is personal in that sense. Do, well, do we have evidence that God is good? Well, we have the uh, record in uh, the scriptures of many people who have come to know something of God's character. And I think they would give powerful testimony to the fact that God is a good God. Of course, the most well-known testimony of that is from David's pen when he uh, wrote, the 23rd Psalm. We can just read that psalm together. I know we know it all, but uh, it's worth reviewing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a testimony to the, to the goodness of the shepherd, the one who is our personal God. He is there with his provision, his leading and guiding, his protection and offer of security, his comfort and companionship, and brings us hope for the future. It's a, it's a summary of goodness, and it's certainly a testimony that David was able to give that, that God loves us and cares for us as individuals and wants what is best for us. We have other scriptures that tell us about God and his, his goodness. He certainly is a God of love. In John's Gospel, he tells us that God loves the whole world. And then later on in 1 John, John writes that God is love. And there are many other uh, texts that we could look at to, to examine this, but I, I've chosen this uh, one out of Ephesians, and I'll read it for you. Um, it's in, out of the message, so it looks a little bit different than what you might be used to. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world which doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives 
and made us alive in Christ. A couple of key words there that we examined this morning in our first service is mercy, uh, in his immense mercy and incredible love. Speaking again of God's goodness, he is a merciful God who cares for us and who has our best interests in heart because he was willing to give and spend so much for us, give of himself, taking our sin-dead lives and making us alive in Christ. If you're following along in your study guides and, and believe books that we, you might have, you'll find that we're pretty much at the end of the chapter now. <laughs> and uh, that's good. I was able to sum it all up in, in uh, just a few minutes. But I can't let you go that quick. Uh, there question I have, and I, and I think that's a, you know, not to negate any of this, that's a wonderful truth, and you should read more about the books and you'll see more examples of how these things are uh, explained. But is there more to learn about a, a personal God? Is there more about that? And I, and I just felt, because I started off on that track of those personal assistants and secretaries and trainers and things like that, um, that we sometimes um, bottle God up to our own selves and we, we, we claim him as our own. We, we give that impression to the people around us. So I, I just wonder when we talk about personal Savior, what, what the world and those outside of, of our uh, walls here uh, think when they hear those words. Could it sound a bit like like we own God and that he is there just to make our life more bearable. He's there to make our life better. He's there for our prosperity. Uh, it's, it rings a bit that way sometimes. We have to be careful when we, when we talk and we use these words that we get used to uh, around each other, when we use them with people who don't know what we're experiencing and what we're experiencing. Can we... Can we go deeper than that in this uh, talk about personal God? Well, I'm sure there's no end to the depths that we could go when we talk about God. But there was a, another area that I uh, wanted to, to um, look at. And that is in the area of if God is a person, can we talk with him? Does he answer us? Now, there's a bunch of people texting. That would be, you know, the preferred way, I guess, of communication if we had one. Could we text God and would we get an answer back? You might, you might answer quite quickly, sure, it's a given that, that, you know, we can talk to God. And, and we practice that frequently, right? Uh, or at least at times we pray. But how much do we get answers back in terms of what we would be like if we had a, a friendship, a, a personal relationship, uh, when we use that word person. So if I have a personal friend, we mentioned that one, we, we spend time together, or we talk, we phone, we text, whatever we do, we communicate back and forth. How much of back and forth communication is possible when, we, when we're speaking about God? I was once asked a, a 
diff, that difficult question. Someone asked me, how can we say that we have a personal relationship with God if it's nothing like a relationship that we have with a friend? In other words, we can't go up to him and say, hey, how are you doing? And, uh, and they'll say, well, how, hey, how are you? And go back and forth like that. It's not quite the same. In other words, why doesn't he speak with us in that manner? I mean, he could. Right? He's God. He could do that. He just doesn't seem to do it that way. I didn't have a really good answer for that at that time. I, I was kind of stammering around and, st- you know, like, you know, well, God isn't just that kind of person. He's, yes, he's personal, but he doesn't exist in flesh and blood at, at the moment before us. Christ is no longer walking on the earth. And, and so we don't. But is there any way that, uh, that we can come to know God in a more personal relationship way where he is like a friend and where we, where we speak back and forth? Uh, is it even possible? Because, after all, God is spirit and, and he's far above us, much higher than any friend we could ever pick here on earth. But it, in looking at that, and this is something you can explore in your Bible study groups throughout the, the, the weeks, that, the week ahead, if you want, if you want to roast this preacher, that's okay too. But I was thinking, well, there are some some teaching and some illustrations in Scripture that would lead us to believe that yes, there is a possibility of a, a communication, <clears throat> two-way communication with God in that sense. Certainly, the the premise of our our belief studies is that we should become more like Jesus. So if we look at Jesus' life, he had this kind of relationship with the Father. And there are examples of his relationship with the Father throughout the Gospels. Um, Jesus met his Father in prayer. Luke 6.12 says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, how many of us have followed that example? We spent the night doing some things, but very rarely have we spent the night praying with God. And another example, then there's quite a few really if you look at them. In John John 12, 28, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. It's an interesting point that Jesus spoke to God and God answered him. That time, there was an audible voice that came back and Jesus says, it didn't come for me. It came for you so that you might know that we have that sort of communication possibilities, at least Jesus has with his Father. But we say, well, well, Jesus was God, and, and that was a special example. I mean, we can become more like Jesus, but we can't become that much like Jesus, can we? That we have that um, special relationship. Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, there was a man that, that had a, a kind of a relationship like that with God. And that was Moses, and I would also point out probably Joshua. 
In Exodus 33.9 we read, As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. It was interesting that that was a time for Joshua where he was again in the presence of God. But the idea that Moses spoke face to face with God, that's remarkable. Like, ask a friend. So we have to think that it, it is possible for a man to, to have that kind of relationship with God at least in Moses' example. But Moses was a prophet. I mean, he was God's great prophet to the people. Could we have such an experience? Could we know God like that as a man would speak to his friend? Well, we look into the New Testament, we see an example of Peter. And Peter's always good for great examples. But in he was in Joppa, coast of uh, the Mediterranean there, and uh, he was up on the roof at noon. About noon the following day, this was, uh, this was the people coming from uh, Cornelius' home, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. Well, there's a more experience like I have when I pray. I become sleepy. <laughs> hungry isn't as big a problem, but Peter was hungry. Anyway, something usually comes along to distract us when we come before God, and something enters our thoughts. But instead of getting something to eat right away, um, and while they were preparing the meal, the scripture says, he fell into a trance. It's a bit of an unusual state, I think, but for some reason, that was Peter's mental status, uh, status at that time. Um, And God, uh, you remember the story, showed him a vision while he was in that trance of a sheep being let down with unclean animals in it. And God told him to get up, eat, and kill. And uh, get up, kill, and eat, I guess would be the better way to do it. But he he, uh, said, no, I don't think that I don't eat anything unclean. And three times that was repeated and then the vision was gone. But then the people from Cornelius' household showed up and explained that that uh, they had a message to bring Peter to visit Cornelius because God had had spoken to Cornelius uh, that he should call for Peter. Now, interesting enough, Cornelius, it says earlier in Acts, was also a man of prayer and had been praying and then got a message from God. Now, he didn't even know about Jesus at that time, but God said, I've heard your prayers and uh, you should go and get uh, Peter to come and talk to you. And that's what they did. So these these men, Peter and Cornelius, were both experiencing answers from God during that time of prayer. If God is personal, loves us, and wants to meet with us, wouldn't prayer be our greatest desire, our highest priority, our most anticipated activity, and the best part of our day? I mean, that would be the case, right? If you had a 
personal God like that, and you could talk with him face to face, that would be the most amazing thing experience you could have at, at any time of your day. Well, why isn't it that way in my life? And I speak to myself, but I, I'm wonder, I bet there's a lot of people that have experiences like mine. So I, when you're speaking up here, you, you speak to yourself a lot, by the way. It's nice to have so many people taking part in the speaking because we all get spoken to. But, uh, but I, I think you might share in some of my experiences anyway. My prayers tend to be a bit more like I have a personal assistant than a personal God. It's uh, like I have a list of assignments for you, God, to, to do and to deal with. And when you've taken care of those, uh, I'll come back to you with a bunch more for you to do. And so we treat him more like a personal assistant than a personal God or a personal friend. And, and that's probably not the way that we should be. At least that's what I'm thinking. I was reading a book by Tim Keller on prayer And he made this observation, we know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. We therefore pray to procure things, not to know him better. I think Tim has pointed his finger at me and, uh, and, uh, and summarized my experience pretty well. Another book that uh, I found an expert out of is from Linda McCullough Moore, The Book of Not-So-Common Prayer. Prayer is hard. We shake our heads and say, it's not easy. As if to say God isn't always there, when truth be told, we haven't stuck around long enough to find out whether he is or not. We knock on the gates of heaven, then scribble a quick note, we stick it between the rails, and run back to our busy lives. I guess nobody's home, we say. And a bit of my behavior is reflected in that uh, statement as well. Why don't our actions match our beliefs? I mean, we believe God is personal. We've, 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 I don't think, does anybody agree, disagree with the first part of the message? No, I, I think we've been preaching to the converted. But if anyone doesn't, let us know. We'll come talk to you. (laughs) Or you can come and talk to us and we'll see you at the Bible studies. Please come and share those thoughts. But our actions don't always line up with our beliefs. Ryan's not here this morning, right, Angie? No. That's good. So this is off the record for, for Ryan. Good. How many of us believe it is wrong to exceed the speed limit? But... How many of us set our cruise control on Highway 11 at 104? You know, like just below where the points kick in, right? And where Ryan might sort of get interested in our activities. We hope. So I say I believe it's wrong, but my actions say that I believe it doesn't matter. What would it take to get me to slow down? Well, if a moose jumped out in the road in front of me, if I experienced that, I would realize that 90 is safer than 104. So my experience would help me bring my actions in line with my knowledge. We say that God is personal, yet we don't always behave that way. We would need to experience him in ways which show us that he is personal, personal, 
and, communi- and can communicate with us and wants to communicate with us. And I think that experience is somewhat lacking in our day-to-day lives. And probably it's not God's fault. Probably it's something to do with me. What can we do about that? Here's a picture of John F. Kennedy. He believed that people could go to the moon. That was ridiculous. Nobody had gone to the moon. Nobody had even come close. But he believed that, that we could get there. So he said, it. we believe we can get to the moon. And then he put the nation to work to make it happen. It didn't happen overnight. Remarkably, it happened within 10 years just to see us. But it was a, a, a statement of belief which had to then be worked on to get to the experience that uh, proved it to be true. And so I wonder if, uh, if prayer is a bit like that. We've, we state that we believe God is personal. Okay, we believe it. But now how are we going to make it work? How do we get there? Here's another quote from Linda McCullough Moore. If God is a maybe, or even just a good idea, then it makes sense to pray a little in the morning and whisper prayers here and there throughout the day. But if God is God, and if the God, and if God is interested in being in communion with me, then the only thing that makes even a particle of sense is to pursue Him 24-7, to drop everything to enjoy that sweet, delicious honor. So I think what Linda Moore is referring to here is that it's going to take an effort on our part to experience God in this way. Moses didn't get there for 80 years uh, and then he started to understand more about God. So it's not something that we are born with an innate knowledge of, but there is a possibility of having this kind of relationship with God. and something that I think we need to consider and then decide how much effort, how much resources are we going to commit to making that belief a reality. I was uh, like the man that had a son who was ill and that the disciples couldn't heal. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, uh, the man, Jesus says, if you believe, you may be healed. And the man says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I often find myself saying that uh, to myself. You know, I believe, and that's the t- title of our whole series, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's an important message for us to have in our, in our hearts, to keep our thoughts that we believe, but help us, Lord. We're going to need some help. We're going to need some help from God to uh, overcome our actions of unbelief. We'll need to study. We'll need to learn. We'll need to discuss it with ourselves in Bible study to help each other. We need to uh, discover things from the writings and experiences of others, ideas and suggestions to help us. And there's a lot of resources that we need to put into play. We need to listen to the instructions of Jesus when, when he was asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. He gives them an example and model of the type of prayer that can help us experience our beliefs. And of course I'm referring to what we typically call the Lord's Prayer. 
Martin Luther has some good suggestions about prayer and, and uh, just starting to discover a bit about what he said. But he uh, would pray this Lord's Prayer every time he would pray. And he prayed at least two hours a day, once an hour in the morning, once in the evening. And he would start his prayer by sort of paraphrasing the Lord's Prayer every time he prayed. And he would make it a little different, make it more personal to himself in his circumstances. And he would pray two hours every day, unless it was anticipated it was going to be an extremely busy day. And then he would pray three. So that's a, one illustration of, of someone who has been able to recognize and realize a, more of this personal relationship with God and then can pass that on to us to, for our consideration and perhaps uh, we can learn from what he has to say. But I would like us to, just in closing in the last few minutes, just look at that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and consider it uh, as, as a model and example for our, the start of what we could become in terms of a, a relationship with God. I'm going to start off by reading a, a couple of verses before the prayer. And I took these out of the message too because I found them to be pretty useful for us in terms of thinking about ways that we could enhance and encourage our relationship with God. Matthew 6, 6. Jesus speaking. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. We talked this morning in the first service about coming to God in childlike uh, uh, faith and and that's sort of what I think uh, Jesus is talking about here. Just simply and honestly come before God. The focus will shift from you, my personal assistant type of focus, because it's all for me, to God. And you will begin to sense his grace. Now there's the, the hint, Jesus says, that we're going to get communication from God. We're going to be able to sense something of God if we follow his instructions. The next verse, Jesus says, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Again, there's the idea that he's my personal assistant and I'll get what, what I need from him. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with. Father, how much more personal do you get than that? This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Read it together with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just a few comments, uh, and then we're going to close in a song by singing that song. Our Father starts out is a very personal uh, introduction. We call him Father because through Jesus we've been adopted into his family. He's in heaven. It's a personal relationship Jesus is describing, but it's not casual. 
Certainly we don't come in our uh, in a, a, a way that isn't uh, meaningful and uh, and respectful because he is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Pray that God, a prayer to God that he would be glorified and revered in the world and through our own lives. That his kingdom would come. That everyone, everywhere would get to know him. That they would be able to submit to him. That your will be done. That we would submit ourselves to his plans and trust that he is a good God and that he has our best interests in mind. We certainly able to pray for our daily necessities of life, not for our wants, but for what we need, and for the needs of others that we know, the daily bread for them as well. And then we confess our sins, and we also would request that our relationships with others would be as our relationship with God. And we desire, express a desire for healing of those relationships, and that we wouldn't be led into temptation. Let us not be uh, giving in to the self-centeredness and self-sufficiency that we, we typically have, but that we would be uh, delivered from any malignant forces. The suggested path of discovering the wonders and delights of our personal God, I, there's so much more. We will have another section on prayer itself, but I just thought when we're talking about personal God, how much more personal does it get than when we pray? I'd invite uh, my wife to come to the piano to help us uh, with a song we sang. I I thought it was just a little while ago, but it was actually a year and a bit ago. Sometimes time just goes fast. Our Father. It is basically the words of what we just read. And we'll close with this song. 